So your coaching philosophy can be summed up in one fa- phrase that you patented and you, 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 this is you. It's no risk it, no biscuit. What does that mean? You know, when I was a young, I think high school, one of my coaches put the poem if by Rudyard Kipling in my playbook. And it basically says, you can't be afraid to throw your hat in the rain and uh, you can't sit on the fence. Um, you you got to take chances and you're going to fail. So it makes you stronger. So it's like, you know, I played golf the same way. I hit a lot of balls in the water, but you ain't hitting a great shot unless you try. And, uh, you know, we, we, we do take chances, calculated chances when we're, when we're running the football team and, and calling plays and things like that. But uh, it's just, it's just the way I live life. Before we get started, I wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor, Proper Creative. They help me with our brand content and, of course, making our swag. They're the ones that ship it out to us. That's Proper Creative, and they work with any type of business, whether you're a big corporation or a small business or even running it out of your house. They will work with you, and they will help you and relieve a ton of liability and work from your shoulders. That's Proper Creative. You can follow them on Instagram, P-R-O-P-R, or you can go to their website at P-R-O-P-R. R-O-P-R-L-L-C.com. Let Proper Creative help you build your brand and sell direct to consumer, regardless of the size of your business. Proper Creative is definitely a good choice. Welcome to another week of Level Up with Matt Rogers. I am your host, Matt Rogers. And as with me, or with me as always, my man Eli Adelman. Yes, sir. Engineer, the man, the myth. And uh, we're going to get right to it. You see, my gear is different today because I'm branded. I'm representing. This is the Arians Family Foundation. And the reason I met our current Super Bowl champion head coach, the one and only Bruce Arians, is in the house. What's up, Maddie? How you doing, baby? I'm doing good, coach. I'm so happy. And honestly, man, I'm I'm honored for you to do this. I mean, it means a lot. Thank you so much. I oh, man, our pleasure. You know that. Uh, I love you, coach. You've brought me in. You've 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 made me feel like I'm one of your own. I met you uh, five years ago when you were with the Cardinals, and they uh, they brought me in as your auctioneer, and we had some some success. And you've just you've stuck with me ever since, coach. Oh man, your family, brother. Your family. You uh, you've done so much for our foundation that uh, can never repay you. You have repaid me tenfold. You keep bringing me back. You bring me around you. And I mean, when you were with the Cardinals, you were obviously successful. Um, you know, even before that, you've you've had this knack for <laughs> making chicken soup out of chicken poop, is what they say, for a lack of better terms. Uh, when you know, when you were on the Colts, the team went two and fourteen. Coach Pagano got sick. He was battling cancer. You take over as the interim head coach and you go nine and three. Like, how does that happen? I mean, I have so many questions for you, but like right there, um, what was it like that? Like, how do you do that? Man, you know, Matt, that was, that was such a a surreal year. Um, You know, we were not a very good football team. But man, we had a cause. We had a cause. When you give professional athletes a real cause and they band together, we were playing for Chuck. We were practicing for Chuck and and we were going to win as many games until he could come back and and coach the team. 
And uh, luckily he got back that last week or two. And, uh, you know, it was just an amazing thing. Football cured cancer. And I watched him. We had his we had his office set up at the hotel. I mean, in the hospital, I had the, the, the board with all the players and uh, video was there every day. He watched practice. I'd go see him and football cured him. But man, those players, they, they bought into hey, this is for Chuck. We, you know, we you break the huddle, say one, two, three, win, one, two, three, practice hard. But it was one, two, three, Chuck. Everything was one, two, three, Chuck. And uh, it was an amazing, amazing year. Did you t- so? Did you take that challenge and did you make that the message and the and the mission statement for the year? Yeah, it really was. You know, we, you know I asked somebody put a plastic thing over the light switch in his office, and uh, said, "We're not ever turning this light off uh, until he comes back. He can turn it off." And it was Christmas Eve, and he turned off that switch. I sat in my car and just started man. crying. Dude, that makes me want to cry right now, man. That's powerful. And the thing, I mean, the thing that you have about you too is I've been around football my whole life and um, I want to be careful how I say this. Uh, a, a lot of coaches, especially the higher you go, the less time they have with their families, the more challenging marriages are, the more challenging, you know, dad and kids and sons and daughters. And it, it's tough. You have mastered that. Like you and your wife, Chris, who I feel like she's like my second mom. Like I, I really, I, I look forward to seeing you coach, but I really look forward to give, getting a hug from your wife. Uh, you, you guys like, dude, you guys are in love with each other. You're affectionate. You go everywhere. Like I can tell what she means to you. And then your kids, like they glean from their dad. Like they're not bitter at dad, that dad's never home or whatever. Like your kids love you. And then you look at your coaching staff, Coaches that you coach with 10, 15, 20 years ago come to your events. Like, that doesn't happen. Former players, like, you have this thing where you really, like you said to me, your family, Matt, like, you really mean it. How do you do that? How do you love people so well? Hey, just you embrace them, you know? I mean, uh, this this business I'm in, is it's all about relationships. Uh, you, you build relationships through trust. You go through hard times, good times, bad times, and and you you – Win or lose, you booze, baby. So as uh, <laughs> we, uh, we've always had, you know, on our staff, I've got two coaches from 1983 at Temple and five former captains from that team are all on my coaching staff. And uh, and 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 Lori Locust, who it was, she was in school at the time. And uh, so it's like this is very, a very, very unique staff, very, very close uh, Harold Good was been with me 16 years. So yeah, I mean it's a it's a great staff to be a part of. Uh so a lot of people may or may not know this, but uh one thing that was highly recognized especially in today's society is that you're the only head coach that every single assistant was African American and a co- so every coordinator and every every coordinator that you had was African American, and they were head coach. And you also had two female assistants. Was that intentional, or was that just, hey, I'm looking for the best man or woman for the job, and they are it? Yeah, the coordinators are my guys. You know, Todd Bowles, Harold Goodwin, Keith Armstrong, um, Byron Leftwich. They're my guys. They just happen to be African American. So that part was not by design. The the two female coaches was by design. That door needed to be knocked down. 
um, back in 92, I saw Dot Murphy. She was one of the best receiver coaches I knew coaching in Heinz Junior College. So there was never a doubt women could coach. It was just how did matter. you see? How did you see her at junior college? I was at Mississippi State recruiting Heinz Junior College. Her husband was the head coach, and she was a receiver coach, and she ran the discipline. All right, and I'd go down to clinic with them all the time. And uh, you know, it's funny because Sarah Thomas, who the first female official to call the Super Bowl, she's real good friends with Dot, and we laughed and talked about it. You know, and uh, so yeah, and I knew it could happen. So you just had to have some opportunity. So I tried to create the opportunity. So, I mean, we heard about um, the San Francisco 49er. They had a female, but we didn't hear about it too much from the. When did you start doing that? We were the first in Arizona, Jen Welter. She came in as an intern uh, for the through training cramp and um, did a heck of a job. And then, you know, when I retired and, and came back, this is typical of my wife. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to hire a girl full time intern. I said, oh, really? You're going to make her an intern. We're going to throw her out after one year. And if she's good enough, hire her full time. I said, okay, I'm going to hire two. And uh, <laughs> so I went to, went to our ownership. We have great ownership. I said, I'd like to hire two. And uh, they were all for it, you know, all for it because they're super, super highly qualified. That's cool. And and I like the way that you said that too, because I mean, if we're all being honest, and I think we all agree with, with this, it, it's, it's shoved so much down our throat. And to ha to hear you say like, no, these are the best guys. They just happen to be black. It, it's refreshing because I got the opportunity to talk with Todd Bowles um, at your event that I'm still wearing the swag uh, a few weeks ago. And of course I asked him like, I've never seen someone single-handedly shut down Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reed's offense. And he did it like you, you guys did it like Bowles is a G and he's so soft spoken, man. He's such the nice guy. How did you and him become such good friends? And what did, you know, without, you know, obviously revealing your secrets, like, how did he do that? What did you do? Yeah. Todd was a captain for me at temple back in 84, 85 and one of the smartest players I've ever coached. And uh, I pissed him off when I said, no, dude, I think you might be a hell of a coach. I don't know if you're going to make it in the NFL. Well, he went on for an eight year <laughs> career, you know, he was leader of the Washington Redskins defense. Well, they were the Redskins back then, but uh, it just had a hell of a career. And uh, is he just an extremely bright guy, but a hell of a teacher. He can simplify the game for the players. You come in the doors at 530 in the morning. He's got one player every day, a different guy watching film with him. And uh, especially young players, getting them ready, especially when he knows he's going to need them down the road. But, you know, we um, we're so fortunate to have such a great defensive staff. But Todd is Todd is he'll be a head coach next year. Should have been one this year. Are you afraid to lose your coaches when you get good? Because that's what happens. Like you guys build this culture, you build this camaraderie, you win a Super Bowl, and now opportunities come for everybody. Are you afraid to lose people? No, I, I push it. You know, I, I want to see those guys go out and, and get their chance. And uh, I thought Byron, Todd got a couple interviews last year. Byron should have gotten some. And uh, I think had the hiring process happened after the Super Bowl, I would have lost more. Uh, but my job is to have the next young ones ready to go, you know, push these guys up and get them out there and then have the next ones ready to go. And um, so I'm really excited about super. We have got some super young coaches on our staff. And then you got a veteran like Tom Moore, who's 83, who's just overseeing the whole thing. <laughs> Man, that's so awesome. I mean, you're, you're celebrating 69 years, right? Mm -hmm. 
You are uh, the oldest coach to ever win a Super Bowl. Congratulations. Thank you, brother. Here, here's why that's such a big deal is that for me, it shows your resilience and your perseverance to where most guys, and you're such a young vibe. Like you're, you're, you already know this coach. I don't mean to patronize you, but you're the freaking coolest guy in the room when you walk in. Right. I mean, just from your look, your swag, the way you carry yourself. And then you open your mouth and you talk like you're just a badass in every sense of the word. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm not 69 unless I look in the mirror. <laughs> that's the only time I ever see it or feel it. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like, the, I mean, it's just, when I look at you, it's just a number. Like you're a cancer survivor. You're a Super Bowl champion. You have a healthy marriage, a healthy relationship with your kids. Like your win on all corners. Like, do you, do you feel like you can still do this another 10 years? Cause you look it. Yeah, I, I think I could. I don't know if, you know, let's just see how it goes. But uh, a big thing for me is, um, you know, I, I gave up play calling. That was my baby for all those years. And Byron's done a great job. Um, hopefully I, I've got another young one ready. If, if I were to lose him, I'd have to really think about it. But uh, yeah, I, I think I've got a number one, but I'm, yeah, I'm excited. I'm having so much fun. It's, it's amazing. What's the funnest part of your job? Building new, I can't wait. I can't wait to meet your rookies and get to know them. You know, they're here, they're coming this weekend. And uh, we'll have rookie money camps the first time to really get to see them, meet them, and, and start building next year's team. Super Bowl's over. You know, that was last year. That that team, this team hasn't that, that team won the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. How okay, so I, I want to ask you this when we're on that subject. We talked to one of your adversaries back in the day. You were a Cardinal, they were Seahawks, and Cardinals and Seahawks did this. Pete Carroll. And Bruce Arians did this assistant coach. Who's a friend of mine, Pat rule. We interviewed him. He said after they won super bowl 48 and they dominated the Broncos, the next team, their problem was that in super bowl 48, it was about the team. Then guys got the egos, then guys got it. He goes, and that's what kind of, he didn't say fall apart, but that was the challenge moving forward. You I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you're the first coach in history to have all 22 starters from a Super Bowl come back, right? Yeah, yeah. How, so, A, how did you do that? And, B, how are you going to make sure that stays together? Because people were just wondering about the Bucks last year, and then you entered as a five seed. Now everyone's talking about the Bucks. You're one in every single category how do you make sure you hold true to that? And what's the pressure like? Yeah, keeping the group together. Jason Light, Mike Greenberg, Jackie Davison, man, they did an unbelievable job working that salary cap. And the guys didn't want to leave, but you still got to pay them. You know, they're not coming for nothing. Mm -hmm. You got to pay them. There's no hometown discounts, but they all, they, all, they, they had a great bond. I think the pandemic last year even strengthened that bond, what they had to do for each other to, to give up, sacrifice so much of their families, uh, going out, doing it. You just, you went to work, you went home, you went to work, you went home. That was it. And uh, so I, I think that bond is so strong. They want to stay together. And um, so I, those guys did a great job. And now my job is to kick the shit out of them. <laughs> when they get back here, just to remind them, we haven't done anything. You know, we'll have our ring ceremony. We'll have our ceremonies. But then this team, we know what work is. And if, if I'm not seeing the quality work, We've got enough leadership to say, hey, we're not working hard enough. So your coaching philosophy can be summed up in one phrase that you patented and you 
you, you, this is you. It's no risk it, no biscuit. What does that mean? You know, when I was a young, I think high school, one of my coaches put the poem If by Rudyard Kipling in my playbook. And it basically says you can't be afraid to throw your hat in the ring and uh, you can't sit on the fence. Um, you you got to take chances and you're going to fail. So it makes you stronger. So it's like, you know, I played golf the same way. I hit a lot of balls in the water, but you ain't hitting a great shot unless you try. And, uh, you know, we, we, we do take chances, calculated chances when we're, when we're running the football team and, and calling plays and things like that. But uh, it's just, it's just the way I live life. Yeah, you do. When you came, when you came to Tampa, your first season, 2019, the, the bad news is y'all went seven and nine. The, the upshot for me was, and obviously as a fan watching you and just having that personal relationship for you, you know, with you and wanting you to win you, and you know, this better than anyone, you went seven and nine, but you could have so easily gone 12 and four, 13 and three. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Titans guy. I live in Nashville. I was at the Titans game. You should have won that game. Um, what? So my point is how do you, cause that was a good team. How did you think that that team was going to come back? Like when did this Tom Brady, Gronk, Antonio Brown, when did that come to fruition? Did you know that was going to happen or was it just piece by piece? No, it was piece by piece. I mean, you know, I, I really liked our ball club, you know, and, and I took one of the reasons I took the job. I thought Jameis had a really good future and yep. no one's out going to work. Jameis Winston. He's, he is a fun joy to coach. Great kid. And, but the interceptions kept happening. We knew we had talent, but when you have a losing culture, you find ways to beat yourself. Penalties, missed assignments, critical plays. And like you said, we should have been 12 of four talent wise. And, but we really didn't believe it, you know? And then, so we had to look behind door number two, and behind door number two is Tom Brady, who never who who's going to think Tom's leaving New England? Nobody, right? And did you know? But did you know before the rest of us? Like I can get Tom. Yeah, and you know we had the initial uh, talks, and he was super excited. He knew everything about us. And I was like, <laughs> hey, we got a chance at this. You know, he's he's going to leave. He's going to leave, and I think we got a great shot. He wants to be warm weather. You know, he lo loves Florida. It's on the East Coast near his son, and uh, and and he knew every player on our team knew every coach. So Tom does his homework. And uh, so he was, and I knew it was going to be a chance. And then, you know, obviously we get him, he brings up Gronk. I'm going like, Gronk, man, he's, he's wrestling or something. You know, what is, is he in shape? Does he want to play football? He said, no, he's in great shape. He wants to play. I said, okay, we'll, we'll swing this trade, not knowing what we're getting, you know, and it took Gronk a little, a little time to get back into football shape, especially Florida football shape. He's got a great story on that one. And, uh, <laughs> You know, then Antonio was just late. You know, had that suspension. Uh, yeah. Mike Evans is playing on one leg. Chris gets a concussion. It's like it's, it's week seven. I'm, Jason, we got to look into this, man. I mean, we got a good football team. We need some insurance in case we lose one of these top guys. Until you know, because with COVID, the rookies Tyler wasn't coming as fast as I hoped because he didn't get to practice. Uh, Scotty was injured, so. We signed Antonio. He came in. He was a model citizen, played his ass off for us. And uh, so it just continued to put those pieces together. But, man, with no spring practice, no real training camp, uh, it was hard. 
this team just kept evolving and building as the season went. Let me ask you this question. This is going to take some transparency and maybe a little, you know, you, most people don't like to talk about themselves or say something good, but I'm going to ask you this question. Do your player, like having 22 starters from a Super Bowl championship team has never happened before. You as a person have to have something that these guys want to come back to. I think of guys like Antonio Brown, who I've never met. I don't even know. I saw what was going on a year or two ago, and I'm like, this guy has completely lost his mind. And you gave him a chance. Like, you're resurrecting life back into his everything, family, career, everything. Do these guys, do they say thank you, coach? Thank you for giving me another chance. Like, I'm here because of you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think about, you know, four four African-American coordinators and head coaches, two females, like, do they, I mean, do these people tell you, like, thank you for what you're doing? Yeah, it's just, we're all in this together, you know, and uh, you have to have a relationship with players. I'm I'm, I'm really, really hard on them now. People think I'm a player's coach. I don't know where they came from because the only way I'm a player's coach is I hug them after I cuss them out. And, uh, (laughs) Because when it's not right, it's getting corrected. Just don't take it as criticism. It's coaching. Your football sucks. You don't suck. You know, that's what I try to tell them in the first meetings. Like these rookies out here tomorrow. Hey, you're gonna be you're gonna be called some ugly names. But I'm talking about your football, not you as a person. And uh if I really get on your ass pretty good, I'll find you in the locker room afterwards and make sure everything's okay. But uh that was Coach Bryant, man. He taught me to say, look, when you coach them hard, hug them later. And it was like, yeah, that was that's been the mantra ever since. But yeah. I think our players love being disciplined. All right. They want just, they want to know there are, there's no gray area. All right. This is how it is. This is the way it's going to be. Don't come in my office and ask me a question if you don't want a real answer. And I think they really respect that. So do you get real? Like, I think about it. Like, do you, you cuss out Tom Brady? You cross out, you cuss out Gronk? Oh, yeah. That's what I was about. Gronk, Gronk is dying that first week. I said, dude, you're in fucking New England shape. This is Florida, bro. You got to get your ass in Florida shape, all right, because you're dying. He looked at me and said, bro, I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> how? I mean, I guess I want to say, how do you, because now, like, from the outside looking in, and I've been around, you know, kids, football, it's different nowadays. Everything is super soft, and you can't say the wrong thing, and you can't tick off the wrong person, but you, you're also old school, and you say straight up, like, I'm going to kick your ass. Like, how do you get away with that? Like, and do you still do it? Like, has your coaching philosophy changed in the last 10, 20 years or no? No, it's just how you teach, you know, because they they all learn differently now. You know, for me to, I cannot do the Zoom teaching. I got to look you in the eye. I got to make sure your your pencil's moving or your your computer's moving, you know. Uh, so it's like each kid learns differently. And and that's our job. We're, we're super glorified school teachers. That's how coaches are. You can know all the football in the world. If you can't teach it, what good is it? So, um, you know, it's, um, it's it's that way every single day, all right? You, you, we have three words, trust, loyalty, respect. We don't have any rules. All right, so if you, if you know what those words, that's where I start. I put the dictionary meanings of those words up there and how they affect us every day. And just one team, one cause, and that's that ring. What um what do you look for in players that you bring on your team? What makes 
someone say, this one's Arian, Arian's approved. I want that guy. They love to play the game. They love to play the game. Uh, they're physical and they're probably fast uh, and they're smart, smart, fast, and physical. Uh, and they, they have a passion for the game. And I think that's why we've hit the draft. Jason's done a great job. He knows exactly what players look like. And, uh, and we have that type of guy on our, on our team. Is it hard to get rid of players? Hey, like, you know, you, I, I saw firsthand how much you loved Jameis. And when you first, um, when you retired, when you retired and you, you left Arizona, but you still had your first fundraiser in Arizona, Jameis showed up. This is before, this is when you were going into announcing. Um, he showed up, you know, even before, like, is it hard when you love a player like Jameis to say goodbye? It really is, man. It's really hard. I mean, because you build those relationships and, uh, you know, I wanted him to succeed, but I owed it to the other 52 and ownership and everybody else to see if there was a better option. And we thought we could correct it, but when Tom was available, we had to make that move. But it, it, yeah, it, it hurts personally. So let me ask you this from a leadership standpoint, because I have a lot of uh, business owners, CEOs, team leaders, salespeople that listen to this. And I know that, I mean, a ton of people are going to be listening. What's the best way to let someone go? Or if you own a business, you have to fire an employee. Like what's your approach when you love someone like that, but you're doing it for the betterment of the team or these CEOs that have to do it for the betterment of their company. What's your philosophy? How do you, how do you let someone go? Well, I've never fired a coach. Well, I, I, take, I fired one, but that was more of an insubordination thing. So for me, I'm going to do everything I can to fix it before. All right. Now, in the case of a player, it's a little bit different, you know, um, because we have to, we have the collective and we got to do what's best for the collective. And in business, if you're not producing, it's just like a player. So everything's a production-based business. If you're in sales, whatever you're in, whatever business, it's a production-based business. It's the same thing for us. If you're not producing, you're going to get replaced. And uh, and they know it, you know, it's just, but it's not easy. It's not easy, especially when you have a, a relationship with them. For you, uh, I think arguably you are a future Hall of Fame coach. Just everything that you've done from a coaching standpoint, putting your staff together, loyalty, and then obviously you know, wins and losses and championships. Uh, I, I think if you win the Super Bowl this year, you put your stamp on the Hall of Fame. But either way, I think you're in. The, I, I'd say that to say this. Um, was there ever in a point in your career that you wanted to quit and you said, I'm not a good coach or this isn't for me? Did you ever want to give up or think that this wasn't for you? No, all the times I got fired, just like pissed me off more, you know, because I got fired nine times. So we'd uh, we'd load up and move, and uh, you know, the people don't realize what that does to a family. Like I'd walk in three Christmases in a row. My daughter's ninth grade, tenth grade, eleventh grade year had to say, "Babe, we're moving." All right, we just got let go. Now Jake, he got to go through high school, win two state championships, and go to college before we hit that rough patch. And uh, so it's it's. It's hard on hard on families, but uh, the I never thought of quitting ever because that's what I love to do. Now, when I retired, that was that was more the family and cancer. 
You know, that mm-hmm. Jake hitting 40, that hurt, that hit me hard. You know, how, how the hell can you be 40? And, uh, and then that, that third bat with cancer was, okay, it's time maybe to, to give this up. When you have to look your wife and your kids in the eye and tell them we're moving, I got fired. As a man, does it make you, I mean, I don't know how to say it. Does it make you feel like you lost, that you're a loser? Like that? Oh, it's hard, bro. Yourself? It's hard. It's really hard. And I'm, God bless my wife. She'd always figure out, you know, we, we, we've got a couple of times it was a long stretch before the next job, but she would always have the kids excited about where we're going next, you know? And uh, so it was just amazing what she did, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's never easy. I made, I kind of screwed up because I think my son would have been a hell of a coach. And, uh, but I made, I got fired at Alabama. He was at UAB. I made him come clean out my desk at high noon and walk out in front of the press and help me clean out my office just so he got a real good taste of what it was going to be like. And he said, I'm never doing this to my family. So, but I probably screwed up because he had been a hell of a coach. Jake's the man. I love Jake. Uh, and I can tell how proud you are of your, of your family. Do you think, I mean, does, is it too late for him? Would he ever want to be a coach? Yeah, I think it's too late now. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, he's got so many things going on, too many good things going on to, to jump in this business yeah. now. Um, okay. So when you're down and out like that and you have to tell your family, how do you encourage yourself? How do you bounce back? And time goes by, you haven't gotten another job offer. You're coming off of being fired. Like most of us in life, in our job, if we get fired once, we have an identity crisis and we go like, Oh my gosh, how am I get through this? I'm such a loser. I'm this and that. You've been fired nine times and you come back and you show them all and win a freaking Super Bowl. How do you encourage yourself when you're so down and you've been fired? You got to tell your family, Hey, not only did I get fired, but we're moving again and I don't have a job. Yeah. I mean, I got broke in my first year full time. Um, bought a house, had a baby and got fired. Uh, so it's like year one, here we go. So, Where was that? At Virginia tech. And, uh, you know, Danny Ford had left and went to Clemson. I got hired full time and, uh, thought we'd be there forever. Cause I thought J- Jimmy Sharp was one of the best coaches I've ever known. And, uh, and we got let go that year. So it's like, okay, we're going to be in the bar business. Or are we going to get in the coaching business? So, you know, we, we moved to Mississippi and, uh, you know, you get, you get let go for certain reasons. Um, sometimes it's not, and you, and you, you have to have a strong belief in yourself. And I, I never wavered that, you know, we, we, we could do this at a very high level. I was the only head coach in, in America. It lasted six years. I was going to the hospital three days a week. So it was time to get my ass fired. I was having migraines like crazy. I got fired and I've never had another one. So and stress you, you like that's that. That's that's crazy. So you would battle migraines every day. You got fired and you never had another one. They went away. Yeah, they were gone. It was all stress. Wow. And uh, now I got I got the job with Marty Schottenheimer with the Chiefs, and um, you know we were winning, and Marty decided he was going to make a change, offensive philosophy, and let Joe Pendry, Howard Mudd, two of the greatest coaches in the in the world, let them go and me, and um, so it's just hey. You, you, you learn, he's a, you're a great coach. You're doing a great job, but I'm just changing faces and say, like, okay, this, this is, I, I would never do that, but yeah. Uh, you know, bounce around, bounce around till you find the right one. How come you've never fired a coach? Cause I'm sure there's a certain coaches that are better than other ones, but like you said, you've never fired a coach. 
Why? Uh, unless you did something egregious, you know, my job is to make you a better coach. I'm the head coach. So if you're not succeeding in a certain area, my job is to teach you how to do it and, and, and fix it. Um, now, if you, if you got in a fight with, if you did something crazy, you got, you'd have, right. you'd have to fire yourself. Really? I'm not going to do it, but, uh, you know, so that's just the way I was raised with coach Brian. Two part question. First question is who's the greatest coach you've ever had and why? Jimmy Sharp. Jimmy Sharp was amazing. Uh, he came in my fifth year uh, at, at Virginia Tech, and he had an ability to make us believe that we could beat anybody, any day, anywhere. And we were terrible. We were terrible. But <laughs> we went on the field every every time we took the field thinking we were going to win the game. And uh, he was just an unbelievable communicator, made the game very simple. Uh, still... I owe him everything today. He got me started in coaching. Um, so yeah, it, it's be Jimmy. Who? So my second part of this question is for you. Now that you know you're the head guy, you're the man. You've brought on people, given them opportunities, give them jobs, developed them, made them who they are. In your opinion, who's your greatest prodigy? Well, well, up to this point, it would have been Todd Bowles. You know, uh, and I, I think he's he'll be one, uh, but he was already a good coach. He was with Parcells and it was already good. I think Byron uh, getting Byron into coaching and watching him grow as a coach. And he's just going to have a hell of a future uh, would would be the one right now. Byron Leftwich, man. I remember watching him when he played for the Jags. He's a freak of nature. He's so big, dude. Even when you stand next to him, he is big. Uh, what makes him great? Why are you excited about him? Uh, he's got a great, great knowledge of the game. You know, he, he, he played the game at a very high level. Uh, you just think of Byron when he broke his leg and the linemen are carrying him down the field and he won't come out of the game in a two-minute drill and throwing the next pass, they pick him up. They, they loved it. They, they, that was their leader. And he's still that today. He's a great communicator with the players, great teacher, and wealth of knowledge of the game and studies the game. So, yeah, he's... He's, he's got a bright, bright future. Let me ask you about Todd Bowles. Um, how did you shut down the Kansas City Chiefs? Because, and this is one thing that I noticed. You play them in the regular season, you lose. But if you really break down the game, you go down 21 to zero in the first quarter. Tyreek Hill has 207 yards, I think it was. Crazy and in, in, unbelievable. But here's what people don't talk about too much. They didn't score another touchdown for the next three quarters. Y'all lost, I believe, 24-21, right, Coach? Yes. Okay. They didn't score. Something happened after that third touchdown where Bowles noticed a light came on, the players. Something happened because they didn't score a touchdown for another three quarters, and they didn't score a freaking touchdown in the Super Bowl. So now we're going on seven quarters where the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes, Kelsey, Tyreek Hill can't score against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What happened? Yeah, it was a big change. You know, we were playing, we played a little man early, uh, got caught in it. Um, Pat came out, he was hot as a firecracker. Um, but again, making adjustments is one of Todd's best things. 
And he can do it on, a, he doesn't have to wait till halftime. He can do it on the sideline quickly. And uh, basically just keep Tyreek in front of us. You know, Levante David did an unbelievable job of matching up with Kelsey. And uh, the offensively, it was the same thing. We, we, if we get that ball back, I think we win that first game. But Pat Mahomes ran around, scrambled, got, ran out the clock on us. But we, we left that game very confident that we, if we ever play them again, we got their number. And uh, so, you know, going into the Super Bowl, uh, we thought our front four could, could, could really get off. We, we had some blitzes. But we just keep them in front of us. Don't give them up the big plays. Pet still got out there sometimes and made some hellacious throws. Oh, that yeah. Hit guys in the face. But I mean, <laughs> he, we didn't feel like he was going to beat us running around. And we did chase him around pretty good. Offensively, we thought we could, we could, we could really get physical and run the football on him. So cool, man. Uh, one person on your defensive line that sticks out to me for many reasons is JPP. Did you bring over Jason Pierre-Paul, or was he already on the Bucks? He was already here. He was already here. Great trade by Jason a couple of years before. Uh, only a third-round pick, I think, he gave up to get JPP. You talk about this dude plays with injuries. Most guys, they'll be out for the season, and he's still playing. He's the toughest human being I've ever seen. Did you know when you got here, like, oh, this guy's a gold mine. This guy's the real deal. Oh, yeah. I, I haven't watched him play and, and you know, knew, knew of his reputation and how tough he was. I think the year before he played with two sprained MCLs and, and would never start, would never come out of a game. So, yeah. And, and it just that effervescent personality is amazing. It's, it's very contagious. I first met him face to face at your event three weeks ago, four weeks ago, whenever it was. And the guy won me over. I already knew he was a great football player. But the, I think one of my favorite things about what I do as uh, an NFL and a celebrity and a charity auctioneer is, is, you know, I see people from the TV screen. But then when you meet them in person, you actually see the real person. And JPP blew me away because the guy has heart and he cares about it. Like, I feel like he's got a soft heart, if you will, like. He gave, he wanted to be a part of it. And it wasn't just because you're his head coach. It was because he's got a good heart. And I spent some time with him afterwards. And I just said, man, like, how come you don't do this a lot? And it was so sad. Like he just said, cause no, no one will, no one will help me. And I said, dude, I'll freaking help you. Like I will help you. Like if this what, and this is the coolest story. I had no idea about this. So when I work, you know, with athletes, you know, cause most athletes, when they surround themselves with people, everyone wants something from them. Right. Like I'm not that guy. Like I, I'm not that guy. So you never know. Like most athletes don't want to help inner city kids or do you want to cure cancer? Cause you know, grandma Nancy passed away from cancer, whatever it was. But he said, I want to help kids that have birth defects and that are burn victims. And I said, why? And he held up his hand. And he goes, when I was in the hospital, I saw those kids and it did something. So now he's going to push his efforts towards helping kids that need that dude. I'm like, dude, I freaking love you, bro. I'll do anything for you. You tell me what, like, how, I mean, such good guys like that. I mean, did you know that about him? Do you know these players inside and out? Well, you know, he has that huge heart. I mean, he, he just brings it every single day and he's such a great teammate. Uh, always smiling. Uh, and we've got, gosh, we have such a great cast of, of guys like that. And people ask about who are the leaders. 
some more for me is like, who's not the leader on our team? It's just, mm-hmm. you know, we, we've, we've got a great, great group of guys who care, come to work every single day, but they honestly care about each other. It's so great. All right. I want to do two more things. Uh, one of it's going to be a game right at the end. Don't worry. It's going to be really fun. Uh, I want to ask you about draft day. One of my favorite movies is draft day with Kevin Cosner. Is it really like that? Or is it, is that bull crap? No, that's, that's pretty good. That was pretty, that was legit. Uh, swinging the trades at the last second and all that stuff is, uh, you know, last year when, especially when it's virtual and mm-hmm. I'm at my house and Jason's at his house. I'm like, Hey, we, we're trading with who we trading with. How are we going to go up there and get Tristan Wirfs? It's like, I'm on one phone. I got another phone over here. It's like, who, who's on, who's got New York? The, the clock is ticking down, right? So we're getting this trade done or not. We finally get it through and get his name in and, and we get Tristan. So yeah, it's, it's now when we're in the war room, it's not quite as hectic as it was then. We got four guys on phones calling four different teams and it's a lot of fun. So how, how does it work? Because like, like, do you, cause I, I'm sure you don't have to tell me, but I'm sure there's some coaches and organizations in the league that you just don't like for whatever reason, can you still do business and trade with them? Or is that a relationship thing too? No, you can, you can do business. You can do business. And uh, I think each, each club's doing the best thing for their club, what they think's the best. Everybody's got this draft chart. Who's going to win the trade. You know, I got Mm -hmm. minus five. Who cares? Give me the damn player. That's all I want. And uh, so it's like, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun. But yeah, I think, no, all 32, you you know, pre-drafts, especially that first round, there's a lot of there's a lot of inner talking between clubs. How hey, you think about moving? What do you want? Doesn't that when it's round three and you're on the clock and say, like, hey, you call and call, call, call. Yeah, we'll take this. What do you want? Boom, boom. And bam, you go up and get your guy. And uh, that that's fun. That's that's I, I love that part. So who um, let me ask you this. So did you have your guys that you had to get in this year's draft? There were two or two that we, we really, you know, we love number one pick Joe Tryon. We loved him. Uh, so did you, th- did you think that you might not get him that he, yeah, might not I thought his him? man, his workouts, those last few workouts were off the charts. I thought, I thought he might, might've really moved up. Uh, we thought Kyle Trask would be gone by the time we got to our second. We, we absolutely love our third, but the guy we, we wanted to go get was Jalen Darden. And he was the guy we traded up for, uh, we had to get a we had to get ahead of about four or five teams. We thought we're looking for a return man also. And do you just do that through research, talk around, and like you just know, like, oh well, the Jets ain't gonna pick that position. And like, uh, do you just- yeah, the, the Pro Scouts have the entire board set up what the needs are, what they did in free agency, so that they, they have a pretty good idea what what that team's looking for. All right. What's funner for you? Preparing for the NFL draft or preparing for game one? Oh, game one. Draft's, draft's fun, but they ain't like playing the game. Nothing's like, nothing's like coming out of that tunnel. Here's the game I want to play with you real quick. It's just going to be like a speed round. Just tell me the first first player or coach that comes to your mind. I'm going to ask you questions, and you cannot pick any Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Okay. Okay? So one question I'm going to ask you. I'm going to fire off. Who's the best quarterback in the NFL? You can't say Tom Brady. So here we go. Who's the best quarterback in the NFL? Patrick Mahomes. Who's the best wide receiver in the NFL? Hmm. I'd say Devontae Adams right now. Who's the best running back in the NFL? 
that's a tough one. Uh, I'm going to go with Ezekiel here because I think he's going to come bouncing back. Really? Uh, Derrick Henry, it's going to be, it's between him and Derrick Henry. I was, I was hoping you'd say Derrick Henry. <laughs> Who's the best defense in the NFL? Uh, the Rams. I know the Rams were number one last year. They're, they're solid. They're solid at every level. Damn. Do y'all play them this year? Oh, yeah. Out there. Out there. Um, okay. Who's the best coach in the NFL? Now you got to go with Coach Belichick. You know, he's, he's just done it too long, too, too, at such a high level. Um, yeah, much respect. You don't have to answer this if you don't want to. Who's your least favorite team in the NFL? I'm going to keep that one to me. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Well, that's all fine. So let me ask you this before I let you go. Uh, I always ask our guests to leave one nugget, one quote, one thought that would level up our listeners. What would you say to inspire, just help our listeners level up? You're a coach at the highest level, future Hall of Famer. You're coming off of one of the most exciting Super Bowls and arguably the most exciting Super Bowl runs in history, how can you help our audience level up? What would you say? Well, I, like I told, told all my nieces, nephews, granddaughter, don't let college screw up your social life. All right. So don't let your job ever come in front of your family. And you've done that well. Uh, it did took a little while. It took a little while, but yeah. I can tell. I love you, coach. Thank you so much for coming on Level Up. Who's the best auctioneer on the planet? Oh, Matt Rogers, in doubt, baby. <laughs> Any chance that Julian Edelman's going to be a Tampa Bay Buccaneer? None. <laughs> oh, all right. I love you, coach. Thank you, you so much. All right, brother. Thank you. You're the man. There we go. Bruce Arians, head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Super Bowl champion in the house on Level Up. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed this, please share it, like, subscribe, give us a five-star rating. And again, the Bucs, I mean, they didn't lose anybody or anything, and they're coming back as the number one seed in every category. It is going to be a fantastic year. Thank you so much for all of you who have listened to another week of Level Up. Oh, 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 oh,